In sync, we can create things that are greater than the sum of our individual capacities. This November, DAOSTAC presents a new playing field for decentralized human collaboration, Genesis 1.0, where peers and our different types of organizations will be able to coordinate around common goals, collectively managing shared pools of resources. Such an alliance running on a new version of Alchemy will function as a laboratory for decision-making at scale, paving the way towards unprecedented forms of organizing. The conversation you are about to listen to is part of the series of interviews DAO to Earth, an inquiry-based project funded by Genesis DAO that seeks to further understand the experience of participating in a DAO and how this new framework for organizing relates to the world we're currently living in. Yep, we are recording again. Uh on another episode of DAOcast, another episode of the DAO to Earth series, where we are interviewing uh, Genesis DAO members. Um, whatever that means, right? You know, the conversation we discussed that, <laughs> what does being a member of a, of a DAO or Genesis, what does that mean? Well, whatever that means, that we're talking to people who are, um, who are part of this experiment. And today we have Grace, let me try it. Rahmani. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. Grace the very Merciful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> coming to the show. I'm very happy we're having this chat. Grace seems to be one of the most experienced people uh, within the, the Genesis community and the crypto DAOs uh, space as a whole. Uh, she's been a technology innovation consultant for, for over... Uh, well, more than my age, I guess now. <laughs> uh, 30, 30 years, years yeah. yeah. So yeah, experienced is a nice way of saying old. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> lots of experience. <laughs> and I think that's very, that's very special because you bring a, a perspective that many of us don't really have on this space, right? We're all young, excited, and I guess you've seen or you are seeing many things in the space that you've seen in other kind of fields uh, so I, I guess that's the kind of thing we, we really need to bring to the surface just so we don't repeat the same mistakes, right? But before we get into all that, I would just like to invite you to first uh, be welcomed and also to maybe tell us a little bit about your background uh, and how you came to the world of DAOs and how you got involved with technology and, and as much as you want to share. So welcome and thank you for Thanks. being here. Cool. Well, it's interesting that like it, it, there's there's two angles of perspective. There's probably more, but one is definitely the 30 years of experience, and then there's also a level of I don't call it maturity or spiritual development. I mean, people can get older without getting mature or without developing themselves emotionally. Um, but I also come with a different perspective on what it is even to be in a work environment because I've been in work environments and. And, and what it is to be in relationships. So there's, it's not just my experience in technology, which is 30 years, but also life experiences and political experiences and volunteering. We go through this phase in our lives. I think when we're young, there's a lot of activism and then you have children and then you're kind of busy with your children, but then all of a sudden you care about the school system. Mm. So I got involved in political parties and in um, municipal politics as well because i thought well i have to send my children to these schools right. and that's 
that's a no fork situation. I'm actually very interested in what I call no fork situations. I live in this town. My children have to go to school here as a working career person. Homeschooling is not an option. And so in many of uh, parts of our life, and I think this is one of the ways in which I really differ a lot from some of the Dow perspective is I'm very interested in no fork mm. because many of the critical decisions in our lives are no fork situations. You live in a family, you have to come to an agreement. You live in a town, you have to use the sewage system in that town. Not, it's not like, oh, well, I don't like how my, my city does trash removal. This is how your city does trash removal. So either you can go in there and work on recycling or you, can, you can't fork. I mean, you, it's just the implications are too big. So, um, so that's also sort of an emotional development, spiritual development. So and some of my background is being very involved in politics. I'm Israeli. I've been involved with the peace movement quite a lot. Um, and obviously, as Israeli, I've worked in many security companies. So the whole, you know, uh, cybersecurity and all the things that come around blockchain and algorithms and communications. So I have a lot of technological backgrounds. So I come from both this technology knowledge and from the political knowledge. Mm. And um, I got involved in this really because I was looking at the technology we use for governance, which is what we're talking about. And when the Arab Spring happened, which is about 10 years ago, I thought, this is great. These people are overthrowing their governments, but there's no good technology. Like the, the system of representative democracy is 300 years old. And hasn't changed much mm -hmm. and there's nothing in our lives that hasn't changed much in 300 years mm -hmm. like even what we think about psychology right our brains didn't change but what we use to upgrade our brains all this you know biohacking for example that changes all the time mm -hmm. even though our bodies don't change so even in areas where we think oh you can't change because biologically we're like this yes we can why is it that only in the area of government we've had no technological development mm -hmm. And so when I when the Arab Spring came around, that was when I first started thinking, oh, what would technological development look um, like? And that was around when Satoshi's white paper came out. And I'd heard the word Bitcoin, but I really didn't get involved in the blockchain for almost eight years. Like, really not great timing as far as an investment goes. Yeah. Like, I lost <laughs> a lot of money rather than gained a lot of money so far. Don't worry. Well, it'll get <laughs> it's going to go up, right? But, um, <laughs> but I came in, I guess, about around the time when the Dow was just crashing, huh. which was interesting. And when I came in, um, some of my, one of my friends looked at all these plans that I created. I actually created a new model for governance. Um, me and a, a couple other people through a series of discussions. And we'd actually created this whole thing. And he said, oh, you need to do an ICO. Now it was a little too late to do an ICO, but I just said, oh, what's an ICO? Mm -hmm. And I opened up a company to write ICOs because I, I was at that point a digital nomad. Uh, my, my children had finished high school and I'd started traveling around looking for the new next thing in my career. Mm -hmm. And um, I opened up a company to help people write white papers because I was a content writer for many, mm -hmm. many years. I thought, well, it looks a lot like a business plan there's a few things about it. I have a degree in math. I can understand in economics. I have an MBA. I can help people write this stuff with token economics, which is really the only difference between a white paper and a business plan. Right. And at this point I've written, um, I had a few people working for me, but I've written or edited more than a hundred white papers. Wow. Wow. Which 
<laughs> and if you multiply that, like how many people did I talk to to make that many sales? Right. Right. So I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people with ideas. And by the way, my sales process is, was always to try and convince people that this was a bad idea. <laughs> it, it, well, and it's, it, the reason is simple. Like I, 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 one of the things is the service I provide is much more analytical. It's like, okay, here's the holes that we need to cover. Here's the problems that are successful as an entrepreneur. You have to be able to get feedback. And that doesn't mean do what always do what the market says or always do what other people says. It means be willing to take that intellectual challenge and that intellectual growth. So that's how I came into this. And I wrote a book called, so you've got a Dow, which is a leadership book, which is really my training. A lot of my training is in um, coaching team management um, and how to deal with like in nonprofits. Like I was the head of a party in my local town mm -hmm. and you're not the boss of anybody. These are all volunteers. Right. And the, <laughs> so this is really my expertise. And so I wrote a book um, at a time when Dow was like a dirty word. Um, but knowing that that was the word for this, that, that there isn't another terminology and that, okay, it would take a while. And it's been about two years. I'm actually working on version 1.5 now. Mm. Um, and, uh, and a lot of people have read it and I've gotten really great feedback. So nice. And I hope it's helpful. Yeah. yeah. I, bet, I bet it is. I, bet, I haven't read it myself, uh, but I've seen discussions around it in, well, within the Genesis community. Uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure that's a great resource, especially for people who haven't necessarily flipped the switch yet in the sense that they've engaged so much with it or that they're not early adopters, right? Uh, and that could, could serve as a, as a transition, transitory path towards this kind of world. Um, okay, so, so you brought so, so many things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I think it's great. It's great material for us to, to kickstart the conversation. Uh, but one thing that, that, that really keeps on my mind is how, how has it been for you to, to, to talk and, and, and have conversations with so many people in this, in this space uh, the, the crypto space, how has your perception of these people been? As in, what is the kind of um, feeling that you get from them in respect to both what they, what they might have as, as things that are positive, but also maybe things that they have that are not so positive for the development of the space and the promise of the technology itself, right? I think that's something that we cannot really forget. And you brought that as well. The technology that we're talking about, its promise is that it brings more freedom. It brings better ways for us to coordinate and, and, and organize, right? And I, I guess that's that's something that sometimes it's it's brought up as as a motto or or a vision, but sometimes it gets lost on conversations and even in implementations. In my opinion, so what is your feeling of the people in the space that you've talked to in regards to? that kind of original vision uh, of this technology, of decentralization as a whole? So, well, it's interesting. I actually want to, I've been talking about this for a while. I've got to get time and do this okay. to write a blog, like a kind of tongue in cheek blog that is like an anthropological study oh. of the different communities, oh. right? Cause you've got like Bitcoiners and then you've got the DAO people and you've got the Ethereum people and you've got the, 
um, you know, the, the crypto anarchists and you have, a, there's a lot of different, and I spent some time with the self-sovereign identity people. They're all very, very different communities. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a spectrum, but if you want to kind of look at it generally within this spectrum, there's a couple of things that I think are interesting. Um, so on one end of the spectrum, you really have people who are looking at finance and money. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that. And they're looking at freedom, expression of freedom through money. And we've been very brainwashed in this way. There was just an, an, like that you're going to get your spiritual development, your freedom if you have the right yoga pants or something. And yeah. yeah, and 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 that you can buy, you know, a retreat and a whatever, and you can buy these things, and and that if the government can't see what you're doing with your money, then you have privacy because you have privacy of your money, and this is a, a, an obviously sh shallow view, and I'm sure nobody holds to that really, mm. but the actions and the way that people speak around it are very tied into this. If I have freedom of money, I'm going to have freedom. Mm. And the thing is that one of the things that we never think about is what, who made the rules, what money can and can't buy mm. and what is money and what is banking and what are we labeling with money? And mm. that's something that actually this industry can set free. And almost all of us have completely lost sight of that. Mm -hmm. So on the, on the very, on, and, and the people who've lost sight of it the most, are of course, are the people who've made the most gains, right? So somebody was saying um, at this recent conference I was at that a, a bubble is a bull market that you don't have a piece of. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But on the opposite side, if you do have a piece of it, you've forgotten a little bit what can happen because in some ways you're set. Right. And when your basic security is set and it's been easy for you because some, a lot of people were very smart and they were in early and, and it is, life is set for them, right? They got enough money to buy a place in some island and be great. And, but that doesn't change the unequal distribution of wealth and it doesn't change the planet that we're still on. And I think this is one of the things that, again, the American dream and the capitalist dream is that if you work hard, you can, you can make it. And while that may be true, in theory, fundamentally, it is not true. And the evidence is clear that for most people, that simply just isn't the case. You can't make it. Right. And all those if you work hard and if you have the right psychology and if, 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 there are too many things on that if list that aren't built into our society. If we had a society that taught entrepreneurship and self-confidence to children from a young age, then all those ifs would work. But given that we have very unequal distribution of wealth, we don't have those values built into our children. We don't have that. Most of us don't have the education to be entrepreneurial and have the right mindset. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has access to YouTube. It's just like, you know, the Gary V dream that anybody could have it. Anybody it just doesn't pan out and you can get the sticks. You'd be very silly to say anybody when you can see it's mostly young white men. Mm. It's just really visible. Right. Like it's it, it, theoretically, yeah, but maybe the system is designed for certain types of mentalities. 
that maybe have certain types of education behind them and maybe even have certain types of biology behind them. Mm-hmm. And, and a competitive environment, generally speaking, women are less inclined to thrive in competitive environments. Women are more inclined to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. And when I was young, I didn't see that. I was brought up in a very American, very egalitarian um, environment, very competitive environment. But as I got older, as I had children, like you said, just seeing, well, if the school system is bad, it's bad for me. And I can't keep thinking. And if there's some kids who are druggies in the school system, it's bad for me. Mm-hmm. It's not like I can say I don't care about those kids who are doing drugs in my children's school. I have to start looking at a wider view. And, and it's the same thing if you work in a company. It's like if I win out over somebody else, then I'm creating an environment in my company where we're competitive. And in fact, that's one of my main arguments about the Dow today, the Genesis Dow, is that there's a winner take all situation. So if I put in a proposal, I'll either get the money or not. All of my contribution, all of my discussion, you know, this hour that I'm spending with you, the hour I spend every week on a Genesis call, none of that is considered as important. If I give you feedback on your proposal, that's not, I don't get some support portion of what you did and as collaborators you and I are collaborators in something called the Genesis DAO but from an actual structural point we're competitors for a limited budget right wow that's that's very good in the sense that I truth of how it's designed designed, yeah. yeah. yeah I haven't heard that critique yet and I guess in some way I have felt it, but never really had clarity over it as you're putting it. Uh, and, and yeah, I definitely understand what he's saying re- in respect to all of these other moments where you are building things together with others that are just not accommodated for within the current uh, protocol. Um, do, do you see any kind of alternative or, or different experiment that could uh, solve for that minimally? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the experiment. The problem is if we don't break our minds free, this experiment will look the same as the previous one. And that's the main thing. So I g- gave an extreme example of how people aren't able to see beyond the capitalist system. Um, it's really, I had a, a conversation last night, which was a little bit tragic to me. I'm doing a money seminar here in Slovenia with a bunch of Slovenes. Mm-hmm. And these people, 20 years ago, they didn't have a capitalist system. Um, and they're trying to change the mindsets of an entire country around, instead of having collaborative environments, I'm sorry, it's almost heartbreaking where people helped each other, everybody kind of lived on a farm. You didn't charge people. It's like, oh, you know what? You give me some of your liquor. I'll give you some of my sausage. Let's get together and have a picnic. Oh, you need me to watch your kids. There wasn't this transactional economy. There wasn't a transactional society. And people didn't have much and they had to help each other out. And now we have young people trying to figure out how do I change my entire mentality of everybody around me and myself and the country, and nobody asked, do you want to move to capitalism? Mm. And the entire culture is right now being disintegrated mm. because the economic system was changed and it all sounded great, let's join the EU, but actually it's causing a disintegration in of 
traditions that are hundreds of years old. Mm. It's, it's, so there are alternatives. And in fact, these are natural alternatives. So when you talked about things we're building together, when I was talking about my town council, there were always enough volunteers on town council. There were always enough volunteers for all the political parties. There was always enough volunteers for the parents patrol to take care of the kids and whatever that was, because people naturally form groups. They naturally help with their communities. They don't, they're not naturally competitive. In some situations, they're naturally competitive. And in some situations, they're naturally, uh, they're naturally collaborative. Um, the project that looks the most, that has looked the most at this, I think, is probably the Metacurrency Project, mm -hmm. which has evolved into Holochain. Mm -hmm. And Holochain, if you talk to, there's actually a video of me and Art, and Art is explaining to me like, right. what is a currency. And he says, anything that you can see that has a current, anything that moves that you can see as a current. And I think that there's a lot of valuable ways that we can enable new forms of economy. And there's quite a lot of uh, body of work that's called commoning, which is kind of a weird name, but mm -hmm. you can find work on the commons, on commoning, on cooperatives. Um, and there's a huge body of both intellectual work and proven, they're not experiments, but I mean, proven communities who've done very well um, with having a much less transactional, money-oriented way of living. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes a lot of sense in um, both when there's scarcity, right? Societies like kibbutz, right? We didn't have enough, so we had to buy a tractor together. But also in societies where there's no scarcity. If there's no scarcity of food, if there's no scarcity of shelter, which is the truth today, then what are we spending so much time working hard for? Like, why do we have to work hard for something that there's no scarcity to get? It's very bizarre. And so I think there's many, many alternatives, and I think we'll see more and more of them. And I think that fundamentally that is one of the main um, things that the cryptocurrency situation has overlooked. Mm. Because so many people made so much money, we forgot that actually we have the opportunity to redefine what money is. And um, we have the obligation to redefine what money is actually, if you think about it. It, it is an existential question. Right. right. <laughs> so, yeah. There you are, the existential breath. Uh, okay. But, but look, it is an existential question and, and right. you're in Brazil, right? There's people who are hungry in a country that has no lack of agriculture, no lack of food, no lack of land. And those hungry people are burning down the lungs of the planet in order to just get by when there's plenty of food to give them. Right. right. It's, it's, we're killing our planet for no reason. I was in Africa and you see people are, you know, just struggling to get food and everywhere you go, there's farms. And you just think, what happened? These people have plenty of food. These people export food to the West. Mm -hmm. Why are they poor? What's going on? And this is all fundamentally caused by what the rules of our capitalist system call valuable. Mm. And that's what we have the opportunity to change. Mm. <laughs> But if we keep looking for sustainable business models underneath, right, 
or on top of the current capitalist system, we're going to cause the same thing to happen over again because we haven't thought, oh, wait a second, is this really valuable? Is this really the right price? I mean, I don't know if you ever, you know, I don't know what your life is like, but, you know, I have had the experience of buying something and being like, you know, the shipping cost for this bowl or this, um, you know, this picture frame or whatever, the shipping cost is more than I'm paying for it. Like yeah. who's paying the real cost of this thing that I bought for so cheap, this piece of clothing? Yeah. Where, where did that money disappear and who got, you know, who got enslaved because I'm wearing this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What river got polluted? The cost is somewhere, but we've disappeared it. Yeah, connecting that to the the concept of a currency, to me, it sounds like we we really don't see it, the, the the current flows of of everything that that come to us, right? That arrive at our tables or or that comes into our wardrobes. Um, and I guess that's one of the most immediate uh, benefits of the technology we're talking about in respect to just allowing us to see that, right? We, uh, mm-hmm. in, in a transparent way. And yeah, I, I feel you when you say that, that we're not really, that we sometimes overlooking that because you don't really see many of those conversations happening, right? Uh, in the, in the, the crypto communities and even within DAOs. It wasn't until this week that I had an interview with someone who told me about a use case for a DAO where they are incentivizing uh, actions for the commons. Um, so, so it's a DAO that, that would incentivize that. And well, of course you have people that are building more uh, structure protocols for that like the the commons stack uh, which is still in development phase but even with the technology that is already available uh, alchemy uh, aragon uh, colony there, there are few experiments where people are not doing anything something related to finance right that, that seems to be the the driving force of the of the field as a whole and it's it's to a certain extent it's is understandable why money makes world go around but then <laughs> up until what point right uh, well, i think that's that's one of the fundamental questions well again you have to it's not up until what point it's like who made that rule mm. who put those structures into place who made most of finance debt based finance if you want to grow a company, you have to borrow money or get an investor. Mm-hmm. Like who, who decided, why don't you just print money instead of, in, mm-hmm. you know, have it invented as a loan? Like, why don't you just give everybody on earth money? Right. And, and it's like, Oh, because then there's going to be inflation. And then, you know, somebody made those things up, but we don't have, you know, and, and, and we don't have records of how it would look if it were otherwise. Mm-hmm. In fact, in some ways you could say we do, like you could say that in these communities, like I was at my sister's house and we had to plant, um, she had to, pl- she decided to plant an orchard and everybody came around and planted the orchard with her. It was like, you had to get all the trees in the ground. It was like 2000 trees and everybody came and then we had beer and chili. 
and there was no nobody had to invest money mm. in that we just had to all come and help i think the town helped them gave them a loan for the like a no interest loan for the trees but it was basically it was a free way for them to develop their business and lots of people came to work for free right. and it was fine and and that worked right and and if you and then you have to also look what would happen if you paid people like what if i came to my sister and my brother came and the neighbors came and everybody came and at the end of the day she cut us a check it would change the entire dynamic of the right. situation it would hurt the fabric of society and that's the other thing we're not talking about is how much money damages the fabric of society having paying you for a coffee is really different from you getting me a coffee like if you made me a sandwich and I paid you, that's a totally different re relationship than if you just made me a sandwich. Right. And we don't, we don't recognize how much it really does. If everything is transactional and if everything has a price label on it, then relationships get eroded. Right. Money substitutes. So we, we, we haven't really questioned what money is, what money does, how it affects our relationships with one another. And we have the opportunity. And I think DAOs are an attempt to say there must be a better way to govern things, right? There must be better ways of democracy. That's what we're all up to. We want a better democracy. And my premise is if we use the same rules of money that we've all used, we can't make really new forms of democracy because money will always buy power. Um, that new forms of money go along with new forms of government. And that without reimagining what do we think value is, it will be very difficult for us to reimagine what a DAO is. And what you said is very accurate. I've done a lot of research on DAOs and mostly the DAO technology is being used to allocate funds because we haven't really reimagined what governance is. We haven't really taken that next step and said, okay, what is it? And the biggest, you know, one of the biggest tragedies we're having in, is, is stuff around um, people not wanting to work in the industry because the prices aren't competitive mm -hmm. and people in the middle classes having less and less money and being more and more desperate. Um, and that's one of the things you're also seeing in the field. And this is not, most people aren't conscious of what's happening to them. But what is happening is that because people are dependent on jobs, because they live in the current, I mean, what can you do? We, we live in this economy where, you know, you can't, can't quite fork out yet. Um, people are dependent on jobs and money. Non-forkable, right. And well, it's forkable, but we haven't created that yet. We haven't created that path for most people. Um, because people are dependent on jobs and money, then they're looking at, oh, well, I can't work um, on developing Ethereum because they're not paying me enough. There was a recent tweet about that. Like, they don't pay me market rates for developers, so I can't do that. I have a family. Some of the best, I mean, if you look at, um, again, if you look at Lane's videos on Humes of Ethereum, there was a whole series on how people who are doing the best work in our field are not compensated for it. It's tragic. Mm -hmm. It's literally tragic. And it has to do with, contributions to the commons are not being compensated for appropriately and more importantly
people need to make a living to survive. And I've said like, I just recently said, I can't remember who I was replying to. I think I was replying to Anya on one of the LinkedIn things that um, what um, Vlad Zamfir has been talking about. Um, and I said, look, the Ethereum Foundation should just buy farms. Mm. And they should say, we don't pay you any money, but you can live here and you know, bring your partner, bring your children. Some people will run the schoolhouse and some people will grow the food. And we won't pay any salaries, but you know, hopefully a few doctors will come out and we'll, we'll have a society. And then they can't touch us. Then we can use Ethereum as our money. And then nobody can tell us and we'll build our own solar power thing and uh, you know, put some satellites in the sky so we have our own, our own technology, you know, infrastructure. And then we're untouchable. That's really the only sustainable model, if you ask me. I mean, it's, it's wacko, right? But if you don't own the food production and you don't own the water production and you don't own the electricity production, you will be dependent on the governments who print money now. Mm. And, and all the stuff you're saying about, you know, Bitcoin will buy us freedom. If they can turn off your power switch, your Bitcoin can disappear. Right. Right. right? Like. That's very powerful, not... Grace. Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> It's, it's strong what it's saying. Uh, it reminds me of some of the early conversations on the field. It's, it's good to hear that again, uh, like real vision as to what to do and, and bold movements that, that will cause havoc. But that's, uh, that's part of it, right? That's part of it. My, my feeling, I, I know you are being involved with Holochain as well. My feeling is that they are more likely to do something like that, isn't it? In, in respect to uh, tying what they are building in the digital world with tangible things in the, yeah, in the material world. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know of any of the things that they've been experimenting with, um, but I remember that I've seen conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know a lot of, you know, all of what they're doing. Um, I'm planning on knowing soon, but I don't know. But they are working in two areas. One is like real problems. And it's interesting. Um, I was just, it was, they talked to me a little bit about their infrastructure and uh, what they're doing. And I was just having a conversation with my friend who's a major technology leader at General Motors. And he was describing a problem that he has. And I was like, oh. Holochain actually has a solution to that. And it was specific around um, uh, uh, self-driving cars talking to each other and, and the validation of time on a blockchain, mm. which is very difficult. Mm. Because if we're two cars traveling in different geographies and we're both sending up, you know, what's time? Holochain doesn't use time in the same way. They have a paradigm that there is no time. Um, and that you and I agree on when the transaction happened. And if enough people in that vicinity or in that app say, yes, that, that transaction happened at this time, that's it. Everybody in the world doesn't have to agree that this transaction happened. Just enough people in our community. And so that would be, so, that, so on the one hand, Holochain is working for very practical solutions that like just out of the blue, my friend GM is having that problem. So these are very practical problems. And at the same time, they are working with sustainable communities in various areas and, um, and looking at that. So, but the, but what's what's 
distinctive about them is they built their own nodes. Mm. Like they actually went out and said pretty much out loud, like if we don't have our own nodes with connectivity to one another, then we're dependent on something. And that was their whole Indiegogo campaign. They, yeah. they haven't shipped yet, I think. No, um, but I'm they shipped some of them. Mine. They do. <laughs> yeah. You're waiting for yours. I'm waiting yeah. for mine. Yeah. There are some actually deployed, but they're um, when they they get on, they're going to send. It would be weird out when they're made and completely in the company using the networks. When when they go live on mainnet, people will get their nodes. But they said out loud. You got to have your own node, otherwise you're dependent on somebody else. And nobody else in the community has said that we need our own hardware. Right. And that's 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 so they are the closest to that type of thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I and as far as I know. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Or at least the, as far as ones that are really deployed. I mean, they actually have something, they have deployment, they have apps, they have, there's a lot of people talking about it. I would say they actually have deployment. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, I want to hear, I'm curious to hear from you. What are the things that are, that are exciting you right now in the field? Because uh, I think that with that kind of background, something really has to be incredible to excite you. So I'll be curious <laughs> to, to hear that. Well, I am excited by Holochain. I do find those people. They have a very, um, again, I talked about spiritual development. If you look at them, they're an older crowd. Um, some people are even as old as me. Um, some people are might even be older. I haven't met them yet. but um, And they do show up like people who meditate or something. They have like kind of a Zen thing going around. You go with them and they're kind of like happy. They like have this internal happiness. You're like, dude, um, you know. <laughs> peace you know (laughs) it's hard to explain but they do have a different ethos around them um and so i'm excited about that uh i'm obviously excited about what i'm doing um which is the no fork uh no fork work that i've started to work on um tell us about it i'm not familiar well so first of all i stopped using the fork i just want you to know i carry chopsticks around with me because no fork so i'm starting a whole meme and a whole movement um and it really is no fork situations so i started talking to some people in different standards bodies around how do you have a faster proposal process for interoperability and for standards because Mm. one of the things we need is interoperability so we've got like cosmos and Polkadot doing their protocols for interoperability and that's the beginning of something um, there's certain bodies that are talking about some standards. You have some of the the legal people actually seem to be the most coordinated in getting together and talking about the legal implications of blockchain, um, legal frameworks for blockchain, but mostly they're working within current law rather than saying, here's some laws that we're proposing mm. for ourselves. And these are all what I would call one level of no no fork situations. As a community, we would like to be a community and in order to have a community, we need to interoperate. So one of the interoperability standards that we've agreed upon is English. Mm. Almost all of our activity in the community takes place in English. And so we've agreed on that interoperability standing. Now, my, my English isn't exactly the same as yours, but we have enough overlap of our protocols. You have a slightly different fork than mine. Right. Um, <laughs> so, but, but there's enough overlap. We can right. speak in English. 
Um, and then there's other things that we haven't decided on. And I'm not technical enough to understand those things. Um, but I did spend, for example, four days at um, an event called Rebooting the Web of Trust, which was all around decentralized identity, digital identity, self-sovereign identity. And that's what those people work on. And they have working groups in the W3C. They have their own decentralized foundation, which is called DIF, Decentralized Identity Foundation. But they still operate as hierarchies. And I think that DAO is a real breakthrough technology for them because interoperability and standards bodies are by definition collaborative no fork situations mm -hmm. um, so i i'm really interested in working with those types of communities on the proposal making process specifically mm -hmm. um, to me voting is uh intrinsically divisive because I have a yes, no situation, win, lose situation. So as soon as I get to voting, it's always gonna put me on a different side as somebody else. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about voting is that anybody who's lived in a democracy knows that when you get to the ballot, you're like, is, is, is this it? Like, is there any choice here that I would really say yes to? Like, it's more like, no, 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 eh, okay, no, no, no. Right. And that's how our ballots look. So that really is speaks to how bad voting it is. It's like if if your only choice is Brexit, yes or no. Those are both bad choices. Yeah. Those are bad choices. They don't solve whatever problem was supposed to be solved by bringing up the topic. Right. They're just. <laughs> so my that's what I call no for before you vote like if you got to your ballot and like you looked at the ballot and you're like man these are like the smartest people I know even if I don't agree with so-and-so he's smart I vote him into office even if I lose these elections I can understand the people who voted that dude into office because he's smart and then you're not like arguing with each other like you vote for him because mm -hmm. they all are like that how could you vote for her <laughs> oh my God. like yes. the, every single person is so objectionable yeah. um so that's why i call no fork is is the proposal making process should create proposals that you could respect anybody who voted for any of those proposals you'd be like you know what i don't agree with you but that's a respectable proposal and so that's what I've been working on is how do you create an app for that? And I'm starting to work on some user interfaces. I'm starting to apply for some funding and for some grants. Um, so yeah, anybody who knows what grants would be great for developing this app, let me know. <laughs> anybody who comes from a foundation is like, yeah, that's what we're looking for. Um, and I have talked to some of the DAO organizations about that. So it right. depends on where you come from, whether that's an appealing idea or not. Um, so so yeah, that's that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about the opportunity to use DAO technology, not necessarily the ones that we've developed so far, but aspects of DAO technology to create collaborative um, discussions and collaborative efforts that make us have proposals that are more like win-win solutions. Mm -hmm. Co companies do this very well. I mean, they call it coopetition, right? There's this thing called coopetition that competing yeah. companies 
they work together for the betterment of the entire industry. And that's worked really well for companies that are doing well. But um, we need to figure out how to do that for governance. Hmm. Hmm. Nice, nice. So that, that involves the creation of a project and then a product which is an app and, and then the, the whole net weaving of, of different communities. Yeah, I'm using methodologies that I use. So my book was about leadership and I use these methodologies with groups. So I come, so the, the MVP is going to be, we'll come together to make a problem definition and I'll teach these communication skills because eventually the app would encourage certain communication skills, certain ways of communicating with one another mm -hmm. and reward you, not necessarily with money, but with reputation or with, you know, little things that make fireworks on your screen or whatever people like that works um, to let you know that you're communicating in a way and you're collaborating in a way that is for the better of the entire community. Mm -hmm. um, we all want to feel like we're contributing. So um, I do that with groups. I mean, I take groups, I go to companies. What we do is we, my, my company goes to groups of people, take 50 people and we make a decision making process together. I don't teach, uh, I mean, I don't teach theory. It's like, okay, we're going to do our annual planning now. Okay. We're thinking about, you know, whether we're going to use Asana or Jira or Zenhub, Zendesk or whatever they call those things. Yeah. Right. And then the company comes together and I take them through the decision making process while implementing these things. So that's all that would be built into the app is how to have people have discussions, brainstorming methods. These are all methods I've used. They're not, it's not like I'm creating an app out of my head, some concept. Yeah. Um, these are real things that work with groups and it's only a question of how do you scale it so that we don't always have to have face-to-face -face meetings to implement these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very nice. I'm, I'm not doing anything mysterious. Yeah. yeah. What, what, so what's the name of your company? Um, well, um, I call my effort Voice of Humanity, Voice um, of humanity. And, this, and this particular part of it I'm calling Better Ballot. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. Because you want a better ballot. Like I want better things to vote on, so I'm calling it Better Ballot for now, but that's kind of a placeholder for now. I should have, I'm working, the Voice of Humanity website should be up in a week or two, and I've started having weekly meetings on Tuesdays for anybody who's interested, just to, it's just an idea phase. I'm still pre-funding, but if people are very interested in this no fork stuff, they should reach out to me and I could use all the collaboration I could get at this point. Um, so we have a weekly a meeting every two weeks just to kind of catch up what's going on. What are people interested in? What do people want to do? Mm -hmm. um, where should we apply for funding? Any ideas, you know, whatever it is. How do people get in, in, in the loop for, well, for the meetings? They should just write me, grace at DowLeadership.com or grace at IWriteICOWhitePapers.com or at Grace Rahmani on Telegram. It's very hard not to find me because nobody writes their name like I do. Like There's only one Grace Rahmani. If you look it up, you'll find, and I don't keep my information secret. My phone number is easy to find. Everything is easy to find. Nice. <laughs> when, yeah. when is the next meeting? Um, the next meeting is actually the first meeting is going to be Tuesday. It's sort of just kind of gotten this momentum that I'm like, okay, I got to stop talking to everybody individually, like 10 people mm -hmm. and start putting everybody in a group. Just nice. started feeling myself repeating myself. 
yeah yeah I'll, I'll be happy to come and join <laughs> all right cool yeah you're welcome to welcome to join our meeting yeah we do awesome awesome okay uh let me yeah let's be mindful of time 11 11 uh, for the spiritual folks <laughs> <Am I mean? laughs> um so we're approaching one hour almost and mm -hmm. I, wow that was that was a lot right uh, <laughs> there's one thing in my mind though that i don't want to i don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about that um at some point you mentioned uh the, you gave the example of of what happened with this your sister right where you all came together and you helped her uh, planting these trees or preparing this this, this this space and and then you said that if she had paid you that would have been a completely different dynamic and i understand that very much because i think in many different situations in my life at the moment i i leave those kind of moments where for whatever reasons people just come and and they they will help you out with whatever it is that you're doing and I've, I've experienced that in the digital world. I've experienced that in, in, in other things, not digital. Uh, and my feeling towards that is, is that that really holds a sort of essence or a sort of, sort of ethos that is extremely powerful, right? That no question about it. Anybody who has ever lived through something like that understands that right away. It's one of those qualia moments that you cannot really right even put put your finger on it the challenge for me though when we think about this set of technologies is is that whenever these technologies try to emulate those kind of moments or they try to they try to build conditions in which those moments are more likely to happen there's one essential misalignment or one essential miscommunication which has to do with the protocoling i'm going to call it that protocoling of things in the sense that whenever you come into the tech world as it is nowadays and you talk about self-organization or you talk about uh, decision making all those buzzwords right and in, in, to me, it seems that implicitly you're always talking about some sort of protocol that can be adaptable. It, it can be changeable, but it, it is a protocol that kind of says it, 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 it defines. Here's how you do things now. Maybe in the next iteration of it, you do it differently, but here's how you do it. And those kind of magic moments, this, this like emerging magic, they have no protocol whatsoever. In, 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 in a sense, the protocol emerges out of the interactions of people, right? And, and it's a process. The protocol, it's a process. It, it, it's there while people are interacting and while people are doing their things and they're self-organizing, or I'll do that, or I'll do that. Oh, I need that to be done. Oh, that needs to be done. That kind of happens. Once it's gone, once it's done, it's over. There's no, there's no, that protocol is not there anymore. There are traces of it, which are the, what it materialized. But that's something that is very difficult to emulate or, or, or even to conceive with the current digital infrastructure that we have, especially if people don't have that kind of like rough frame of reference or if they have never had that kind of experience in the past, right? So to me, that's one of the biggest challenges 
in, in when we talk about scaling up or, or when we talk about uh, making these moments more likely to happen in different moments in different contexts. And I have a feeling that that's one of the reasons why we keep coming back to the things that we are, that are killing ourselves. <laughs> we keep coming back to the patterns that we've been repeating for so long, now becoming even more aware of their dangers and, and how they're damaging us. But because we, we, we cannot really systematize or, or, or bring into a protocol these alternative ways of doing things which are inherently uncertain, inherently unpredictable, we keep on being, we keep on, on, on putting things on protocols, we keep on putting things on algorithms that could be adaptable, they can be evolutive, they can be all of that but they are like they still have a different ethos than true organic emergent unpredictable experiences right but that's kind of like a feeling that i've been nurturing within myself for some time now when you said that it, it, it hit me that that the, that's something worth uh, trying to explain i don't know if that made sense cool. yeah. yeah so it hits on a number of things so there are at least three threads that I want to address in that thread. The first one I've addressed, and I'm just going to address it really briefly. When we are in survival mode, that can't happen. It is absolutely intentional on the part of the powers that be that most people most of the time are in survival mode and they're worried about where their money comes from. And so those experiences only can happen inside moments where you're not worried about that for whatever reason, like this is my free time, or, you know, I just won the lottery. But, and, and as soon as you get a job, by the way, with a particular company, your mind changes in, a, in an interesting way. And I think this is biological. So there's, if people are not able to understand how much of their behavior and catch themselves in behavior that's survival behavior, then that ethos is not possible. And the system we're in is designed to keep us on the treadmill. So that's the first thing to notice. And the more and more we can notice that as a community, how much of our speaking and action is inside of survival, then we can have those moments. Second is we've been programmed to communicate in certain ways and brainwash the community in certain ways that are competitive and divisive based on the current systems. So we do need to retrain ourselves. That's part of what I do. That's part of what we're doing in this conversation. And, and you can see how quickly it happens. It's very interesting how quickly it happens, like how quickly people are willing to say you're doing a podcast and I'm doing interviews for the landscape research and how quickly people are like, yeah, sure. I'll give you my time. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly natural. Right. And so we need to start watching ourselves do that. And allowing that and and seeing how effective non-competitive behavior is and emphasizing it because the media keeps emphasizing competitive behavior mm. and the third thing the, the third thing is you have to start from working with a community that's doing that instead of trying to impose your protocol on a community this has been for 30 years in technology always the problem the technologies are like, but it goes faster, but it does this, but it does that. They didn't start at, this, at, okay, let's try and model people's behavior 
and see how we solve their problem. Technologists have a tendency to have a technology and try and impose it on something. And so if you really are developing a product and if you're developing a product with startup venture capital, if you don't develop it around your community and what they really need, you run out of money quickly. If somebody just granted you 15 million or 30 million dollars, you can do whatever the heck you want that has no application in real life. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening. And then people are like, oh, we got to find use cases. It's like, yeah, most companies had to do that before they could get money. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a twisted situation. Mm -hmm. The final thing is that, yes, those protocols do exist and they can be repeated but you want to observe where they exist. So I belong to a DAO. The DAO I belong to is called Judaism. And Jews are a DAO. We don't have a Pope. We don't have a pot of money that belongs to all Jews, like the Catholic Church. We don't have a hierarchy. Um, and one rabbi can't, isn't the authority on any other rabbi. But we still created our own country, which is pretty astonishing as an accomplishment of a bunch of people who they can't even decide which hat to wear, right? Our protocol says you gotta wear a hat, but if you look at the Jews, they're all wearing different hats because they forked, but they still know they belong to this protocol. There's 613 laws, certain ones of them we don't have to obey because the temple isn't in Jerusalem, but when we rebuild it, supposedly we'll have to do those ones too. And, <laughs> and we know the protocol. Like if we invite each other over for dinner, we don't serve bacon and, and, and we wear a hat, right? Like the protocols do exist. And the, that particular protocol has been designed as a very robust protocol so that even though the, these people over time have been merchants and traveled, they always had to find each other because they have a certain food protocol and you can't eat unless you can find another Jew and you can't pray unless you can find another nine Jews. So we always, even when we were in weird little places, found each other and the sustainability of this particular Tao has been proven for a few thousand years now. Mm -hmm. um, so there are protocols in place for these kinds of spontaneous things. And I, I live in a place without a community for my particular religion. So I went to Portugal for the new year and I went to London for the day of atonement and I knew the protocol and I knew what to wear. And I met people who were also traveling from all kinds of places in the world. And we knew how to speak to each other. And these spontaneous things happened that you're talking about, like, mm -hmm feeling a sense of community with a bunch of total strangers that you having dinner with and you know everybody brings something mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff does happen and there are protocols to follow but the technology is very detached from that but i have a lot of hope mm -hmm. because i know that first of all i belong to that protocol and second of all facebook and instagram whatever you may think of them have changed human behaviors they've made them slightly antisocial and um, bragging and, you know, tried to make people distort their faces so that their face supposedly looks better than the reality, but they have changed human behaviors. So I know that it is possible to create protocols and apps that will encourage behaviors that we want, because we've encouraged behaviors we don't want. And I do know that there are long lasting thousand year protocols that do work for creating those kinds of senses of communities where you, wherever you go. And, um, and so I think that it can be programmed into a protocol and in a scalable protocol. 
Um, I could be wrong, but my sense is that we can do it. We just have to be looking in the right direction from the right direction, like from the ground up instead of from the tech down. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm excited about. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, Grace. I think I think we've we've done it. <laughs> I think we covered we covered a lot of ground, huh? Yes. Yes. <laughs> From Judaism to what's coming next? <laughs> to Bitcoiners, everywhere from all the way from Bitcoiners. To... Oh wow! <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Great, great chat, great chat. Uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time and the energy to be here, collaborating uh, in, in in this kind of fashion. Uh, really, really yeah. appreciate These it. These are important conversations. Because mm-hmm. um, none of us is going to figure it all out on our own. Right. And it's only when we intera- interact and communicate and share ideas that we'll be able to figure this out. It's a very, very complex problem. Yep. And it's an existential problem. We all know it. And yep. these kinds of things are really, they're essential for our growth. For sure. So for thank sure. you for what you're doing. <laughs> it's, it's my pleasure. It nurtures me very much. It's kind Fantastic. Of yeah. Okay, so let's end it here. Thank you for everyone who have listened to this. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, and thank you again, Grace. Uh, I'll definitely keep in touch with so some of the things that we talked through. Perfect. And I will add you to our optional Voice of Humanity call, and you can you can join uh, join us. Yeah. All right. Thanks. All right. All right. Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Nice, you've made it this far. So you deserve a reward. Here's a sneak peek into what's coming out in the new iterations of Genesis and Alchemy by Adam Levy, Dowstack CTO. So there was a time, I think a year ago or so, where TCLs was a big hit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and we, we, we tried to, to, to claim the TCRs are not very efficient for most things. You can, uh, there are some things that uh, are different. Uh, basically, things that are totally objective, and then you can basically just an oracle in a sense. Uh, but if it's, it's, if it's subjective curation, then it's, it's not very good. Um, we think that reputation systems are better for that, but I think this is like not our short term. Market in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. I think we, the the it, it, in a sense, you cannot build product that fits everyone. You know, you need to choose what is the the what what do you think is 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 the biggest problem? What 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 are the users that that have this problem? How you solve the problem to them and and you know provide a valid product that solves the problem. And 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 you know. Uh, curation and and you know uh, decentralized insurance and and the DAOs for you know for uh, like uh, budget community uh, community budgeting and DAOs for governing DApps. These are all different problems with different users, and you cannot get everyone in the same time. You, can, you know you need to aim for something. And, that's, I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to to understand where the first users are and 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 get like real adoption, 
and then we can build more products with the other users. Right. 